welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. Well, welcome to church. <laughs> it's good to be back here. I spent, uh, I spent, I think, eight hours or nine hours yesterday in this room with a great bunch of people, many of you I can see here that were here yesterday. And I just love being back here. It's, it's like a home away from home. And I'm going to bring a message today that may challenge some of you. Uh, I think in the body of Christ, sometimes a lot of preachers preach a message and they want to preach these messages that are motivational, make you feel good because they want to be invited back. Okay? <laughs> I, I'm just going to say it how it is. So I may not see you again. So, <laughs> so I just want to warn you up front. But in 2 Timothy, it talks about the word isn't just to encourage, but it's there to correct as well. And let's face it, we don't just want fluffy messages. Don't you want the truth, right? Because it's the truth that sets us free. Amen? All right, that concludes my message. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I have, I have three questions for you to start off with. And that is, number one, where are you with God as far as your relationship is concerned? You know, one would be, I'm completely dead in the water. Uh, which is good because God can you know, rise, raise you from the dead. Number two, uh, oh, sorry, number, in that first question, number 10 would be you're on fire for God. You're just like, man, I'm in love with God. I come to church. I love the people. I'm doing my assignment. So think about that. Number two, where are you with your assignment? That thing that God's given you to do on planet Earth. I mean, how seriously do you take that? Are you doing that? Or do you just... Do what I did for many years, turn up to a building on Sunday, go home and do your thing. Where are you with your assignment? Number three, where are you with courage and boldness for the gospel, for the kingdom of God? Ten would be, man, I am bold as a lion. I am out there. I'm building the kingdom. I'm doing the stuff. Or uh, one would be, I'm passive. I don't really do anything. I don't say anything. I pray before breakfast and, and dinner and that's about it. Where are you at? These, these are the challenges I want to throw out to everyone here today, okay? I had an interesting thing. I was over in Western Australia and I was sharing at a business group and I, I was sharing about a vision for Australia called the ASP movement, which I'll share kind of throughout this talk and, uh, and more towards the end. And the whole idea of the ASP movement is about bringing God's culture down onto planet Earth. As we know in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what it's about, bringing God's kingdom to earth, where there's no crime, no prostitution, no substance abuse, no poverty, everything eradicated. And that's what God has been wanting us to do for thousands of years, right? Would you agree with that? Would that be cool if that was in Australia? We all want that, don't we? But it's about how we go about that. And I shared this vision and I asked everyone in the room, what do you think about this vision? And we had in the room Roman Catholics, Anglicans, um, Pentecostals, every kind of diverse person in the room. And everyone put their hand up. Everyone said, because let's face it, we want to eradicate that little girl that's being, you know, that little seven-year-old being raped every night or that homeless person on the street, don't we? Isn't that God's heartbeat? And they all put their hand up, yes, yes, this is awesome, this is a great vision. And I said, okay, I'm not selling anything, you just join up, 
because we want a collective voice of 400,000 so we could be of influence in Australia and bring God's culture into this nation. Everyone goes, that's awesome. I'm going to sign up. I said, there's no money. I'm not asking for money. I'm not selling anything. It's not a political party. It's just one voice, a united voice, okay? Because we need that. Would you agree? There's no united strategy for our nation. And then I got, to, I got back home and I looked on the database and I realized that only about 30 to 40% of the room had put their name and email down. And I was absolutely mortified and shocked. I was, and I went out into the bush and I started, I, I pray in the bush and I started complaining to God. I'm not too sure if you've done that before. And I'm going, Lord, why? I go, it's, it's your will. That's what you want on earth. I'm not asking them for their left or right arm. It was an email address to say, let's be part of a collective voice. They all agreed to it, but then they didn't take action. And he said to me, basically, he said, they're fans and not followers of Christ. Their fans are not followers. And what I mean by that is in the Bible, he says in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive, deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If I just take, if you just put the, the slide up, when you think about a fan at, at a game, at a, you know, do you guys follow the AFL here? I assume you... Okay. AFL, whatever it is that you follow, a fan will go to the game and they'll comment on the game. They'll pass comments about, you know, the players and they'll talk about whether the coffee was hot or cold or the popcorn good and all the rest of it. But it's a very different perspective to the players. The players come off the field and go, man, that was a half, half game. Anyway, that was a tough game and they say, I was in the trenches, it, it was difficult. And that's the difference between a fan and a follower. And I believe with everything that's happening around the world right now, the social, economic, political distress that we have in the nations and even our nations, God is looking for true followers of Christ. Okay? He wants a follower. And I asked him, you know, when I was praying, I said, why is it, Lord, that many men and women in the body of Christ just aren't activated for the kingdom of God and passionate about it? I go, what is it? And he just gives me this scripture and here comes the challenge. Okay? It's 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. And he says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will, become, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, lovers rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And Paul is explaining to Tim in this letter, it's going to get tough in the last days because you know what? It's going to be terrible because people will become lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. And the funny thing when you read this, he's not talking about the people out there. He's talking about people within the church, right? People within the church, like having a form of godliness, like coming to church, lifting their hands, saying, I love God, but then just engaged in all the stuff of the world. And he's saying that's why it's going to be terrible. They're going to have this appearance of godliness, but deny God's power, all right? 
And here's what's insane about this. You read through that list, all right? You read through this list. And even many people in the body of Christ, and when I say the body of Christ, I'm talking globally, would read through that list and go, well, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. There's not too many issues in there. (laughs) Or is there? You know, psychologists believe this current generation is the most narcissistic generation we have had in the history of mankind. This generation now. And what does that mean? It means having or showing an excessive interest in or admiration of oneself or one's physical appearance. Would everyone agree with that? I mean, look at Facebook and Instagram, all these social things, people putting photos up of themselves. Hi, this is me today. It's like this smile, like saying, I've got it all together, right? True? Selfies. 50 years ago, would have you ever thought, hey, there's this going to be this page and you're going to take photos of yourself and, and, and make you, yourself look good and present yourself to the world so you get these things called likes? You would say that's insane, wouldn't you? But it's become perfectly normal. Okay, people become lovers of self, and that's the umbrella over all those vices there. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, okay? You love money because you love yourself. You're proud, you love yourself. People are abusive because they care more about their own feelings than they do their own, okay, or what others think. But the funny thing is, funny thing is many people think this is normal and acceptable to have those, some of those vices up there, you know, and it's crazy. And God is warning us, this is going to happen in the last days. And the thing is, do we look through that ourselves or do we kind of just ignore it and go, oh, that's people out there? I mean, my wife was just in America recently and she said she was amazed in some of the churches that she saw over there, what they did to attract people into the church. Because now some of the churches in the world are trying to appease to this self-centered culture. And they're saying, come to church and you're going to have better this and better that. Come to church, you'll be rich. Come to church, you'll have the best relationships with God. Oh, sorry, with, with, with one another. Come to church, you'll find your life partner. Come to church, you're going to get this stuff. Rather than come to church, you get God. True? I mean, this is just fact. I'm not, this isn't my opinion, okay? People come sometimes wanting stuff. And I hear people in our culture go, well, I'm coming to church today because there's a good preacher. Yeah, have you heard that? But the question is, are people really coming to church and really wanting God? Are they coming and going, man, I want God. I want this intimacy with God. I want to fill up on Sunday so I go back to work during the week and I'm just in love and I want, to, I want to build the kingdom. Is that what they want? You know, sometimes I've gone to churches exactly like this one here and I've been sitting here and been watching the pastor up the front and he's been preaching and I've seen people sitting in church with their iPhones scanning through social media and emails and doing stuff while the pastor is preaching. And I think to myself, what is the point in you being at church? Are you just ticking a box? Okay, and I'm thinking, I wonder what God thinks. I wonder if God's up there looking down at these people going, oh, look at my little angels. 
They're there looking on Facebook and looking through their emails and messengers while my pastor is preaching my word. You know, lovers of money have, has crept into the church. I'm not saying it's bad to have money. I'm talking about a love of money. Exactly what he says in Scripture here. Lovers of money. Lovers of self. Disobedient to parents. When this was written, you would never think in a hundred years, if you said to a child, go out there and get a biscuit, that he would say no. It was just inconceivable. But what's happened in our culture? If you say to a kid, go, have, go get a biscuit, he says no, you go, okay. Well, and then you say it four or five more times. Oh, that's pretty good. He did it on the seventh time. And in our culture, it's like, it's normal for kids to be disobedient, right? It's actually become normal. And so, I, you know, sometimes I think we have become ships in the ocean and we're comparing ourselves to each other, but we don't realise how far we've drifted from the shoreline and the shoreline represents what it means to walk as a man or woman of God, as a follower of Christ, yeah? Think about unholiness. Go on the internet, look up all the preachers. When was the last time you heard all these messages on holiness? I'm being serious. Not that you've searched on it, but I did. I could hardly find any. Do you know why? It's not popular. It's not a popular top topic, is it? You're going to holiness where God almost demands that as Christians to say, if you really love me, you're going to live a life where you're dedicated to me. But we have these people, and even up in our region, a leader was talking to me from one of the churches. He said, we've got this youth movement, that's going well, and it's being built, and it's great. And he go, I said, I've heard some things about your youth group that, you know, on Saturday night they go out and they, they get drunk and they sleep with each other. He goes, yeah, that's, yeah, they do that. Yeah, they have fun. All right. right, yeah, okay. I said, do, do, you, do you speak to them about this and about holiness and, and keeping yourself for, for someone one day? Oh, no, no, not really, because we don't want to lose numbers in church. This is a true story. And there it is again. This compromise everywhere, and it's crept into the church. And when I say it's crept into the church, we are the church. So it's the world influencing us rather than us influencing the world, and it's time to switch that around. Okay? What about the teachers out there? You know, you, you think about the teachers in the body of Christ at the moment. If it, it says in the last days that they will gravitate to teachers that tickle their ears, right? And so what that means, I was sitting down with a guy one day. He goes, oh, man, I'm listening to this preacher. It's excellent. And he's given me this um, message on grace. And he's basically insinuated in his message that it's okay for me to go out there and do what I want because I'm forgiven. And I said, no, 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 that, that is not grace. That is an abuse of grace. Right? You'll find teachers out there, if you want to go and sleep with whoever, man, woman, child, whatever, you'll find teachers that will actually teach you that in the body of Christ today. Yeah? You, many people would know this, right? You can go and find teachers that, that will tell you you can do anything under God. And this is what's happening right now around the world. Teachers that are teaching this rubbish... And the body of Christ is getting very confused and very di divided in many places. 
But it's time for us as Christian men and women to go back to what the Word says and to walk with the Word as true followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what we want. So I thought, how do I address this today? How do I show you what I'm talking about? You see, it's not what our response is to the world, but what is our response to the cross? Because sometimes we don't need a new message. We need a revelation of an old truth. True? And you know what? One thing I'm very passionate about is Jesus Christ. I love him for what he did for me on the cross. And I preach a lot. I do, I do crusades in Africa and sometimes at the end of the night, you know, after everyone's gone, I will, because I put large crosses up in the crusade field, I will sit back against the cross, my back to the cross, and I'll just thank Jesus Christ for what he did for me and what he's done for the people that night because I've got such a gratitude and I honour him and I've got such reverence for what he's done. But sometimes we get so mixed up in our day-to-day life and our to-do list that we forget what he's done. And so I want to show a clip right now from the Passion of the Christ, not for any other reason to remind us why we're sitting in church here today and what he's done for us, okay? I show that because that's what he did for us. He died for me, he died for you, so that we could have eternal life. And every time I see that, I get emotional. Because that's why we're here. And I'll be honest with you, there's been times where I just treat him like a spiritual Santa Claus. God, give me this. Give me that. Make my business grow. Give me better friends. Give me better relationships. Give me this. Give me that. And when it doesn't happen, I complain. Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? As if the cross wasn't enough for what he'd done for me. And I think to myself, I don't really care a whole lot that if he didn't answer one more prayer in my life, because that is more than enough for me. You know, when I see that, I think of him being nailed to that cross and him looking at me in the eye and saying, I did that for you. And he looks around at you this morning and says, I did that for you, sir. I did that for you, madam. I did that for you, sir. I did that for you, madam, because I love you. I was compelled by love. And sometimes my response to the cross has been, well, I'll turn up to a building and sing a song and I'll shoot up a few flare prayers and morph Jesus Christ into a middle-class Australian that says he would never expect me to go into danger He would never expect me to sell my prized possessions. He would never expect me to do anything more than live a comfortable life. And before you know it, you become lukewarm and distanced from the Lord. And there's this God that loves us, that sent his son and says to you today, is that more than enough? Isn't that more than enough? So one thing I discovered was that 
in addressing this self-centeredness and greed in my own life. There's three things, very simple things, and you would have heard them before when I go through them right now. You'll go, well, David, that's not a major revelation to me. But you know what? Sometimes it's the simple things that are the most, most powerful. Sometimes it's the simple things that we forget to do. And the first question I have is how do you seek the Lord's face? You know, when Jesus grew up in a culture of self-centeredness and greed, where 90% of the nation were enslaved, people were selling their children into slavery in order to fund their life. There was anarchy, starvation, poverty all around. I asked myself, how did Jesus deal with that? And he would always retire to the mountain to pray and spend time with God, but there was all this need around him. And sometimes that's the first thing to go when we get busy. And my question to you this morning is, are you spending intimate time with the Lord? I mean, do you love spending time with him? Are you in love with him? I'm not asking, do you know him? I'm asking you, are you in love with him? There's a big difference. Oh yeah, I know about God. I know about he died on the cross. I know that he died for my sins. No, I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if you know him. I'm asking you, are you in love with him? Do you, want, do you wake up in the morning and go, man, I just want to hang with him. I just want to go spend time with him. Because it says in the Bible, he's the vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, we produce fruit. But some of us are disconnected from the vine and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying like I was for many years. And it's like what James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And for many years I'm like, God, give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that. Oh, and by the way, save that person over there. I'll throw that one in there as well. And it's kind of like a tag on. And I ask myself the question, if... God turned up in the room now and he could put a transcript of your prayers up on that screen and it would scroll through, each one of us, including me, what your prayers have been the last three months, what would come up? Would it be more so about you or would it be more about him and his kingdom? Now I'm telling you, it's fine to pray for your own stuff because we all go through stuff and we need strength and we need courage and we need healing, and we need all that stuff. That's all good. That's great. We should do that absolutely 100%. But sometimes our prayer life, or a transcript of our prayer life, might remind us of what our real heart is, whether it's for him and the kingdom, or whether it's predominantly based on what we want. You see, God's love is unconditional, but his response to us is conditional. All right? It's conditional, like we saw in James 4.3 there. And you know what? I was thinking about this. And I sometimes speak to guys and they say to me, well, I'm just going to send up a flare prayer to the big guy and I'm just going to talk to the big guy and he'll sort stuff out. You know? And they're very casual about it. I'm just going to throw up a prayer to the big guy. He'll answer. Gobba. And you know the funny thing about that? It's so far from the way Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, this is what he prayed, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one he could save, from, save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And I think in today's culture, we have lost our reverent submission 
our reverency for God. You know, there's this king on the throne with a hundred million angels worshipping him, okay? The king of kings, the lord of lords. And we kind of sometimes, and I've done this, and we go, oh yeah, Lord, can you just fix that and do this for me? And it's, it's just this casual approach. And we see how Jesus Christ prayed here. It says he was heard. So he was heard by God because of his reverent submission to the Lord. You know, one thing I've learned about being in other parts of the world is sometimes when you've got nothing, the only thing you've got is God. They have this reverence for God and they get down on their hands and knees. And I was in Africa and these people are praying. They said, we're going to go and pray. And I thought, okay, I've got a bit of time. I thought 10 minutes, right? We'll go and pray for 10 minutes in Africa. And after an hour, right, I was exhausted. They're on the... on dirt floors, praying out to God this, with reverence, like just crying out to him. They were there for eight hours. And in our culture, we go, that's absolutely insane, right? We go, that's crazy. But it was them, they're just in love and they go, man, I want to commune with God. I, want this, I have this reverence for him. And I was, I was talking to one of the pastors there. He's saying, man, we get so much breakthrough because we just have this reverence for God and we're praying and we're intimate with him. And we forget that. And a lot of people come to me and they say, David, well, I want breakthrough in finances. I want breakthrough in this. I want breakthrough in that. What's the key? And the first thing I say is, how is your intimacy with the Lord? Because he says, you, you connect to the vine. It's a guarantee you're going to produce fruit. And I've found when I connect with him and I'm intimate with him, stuff just happens. It's me. I think, how cool is this? And this guy in Africa is telling me we're praying for this town, we're praying for this particular guy in this town. And they have this, uh, they end up having a small group together, and everyone comes to this small group. And the guy they'd been praying for came to the small group. And they asked him this question they said, How did you come to the Lord? And he said, It's funny. He was a Muslim man. He said, Well, I was out in this town, and the pastor here, that's in the small group, he said, he was walking down the street about three weeks ago and he's behind this building and I snuck in behind with my gun and I tried to shoot him, but the gun jammed. And he said it was really strange. I had the gun set and the bullet in there. I tried to shoot the pastor and the pastor's listening to this story. Right? And he's laughing. The pastor's laughing. He goes, that's so funny. Right? We, I'd be like, hang on a minute. And so... And so then he says, oh, then two weeks, a week after that, do you remember, Pastor, when you were walking from over there to that building? And he goes, yeah. He said, I was behind that bush and I tried to shoot you again, but the, the gun jammed. And the pastor goes, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> he goes, that's God. And he said, I got so sick of trying to sneak around, I thought I'd come to church when you were preaching. And he said, do you remember a few weeks ago when you were preaching? And the pastor said, yeah. He said, I stood at the back of the church and I tried to shoot you from the back of the uh, church, but the gun jammed again. And he said, you did the altar call. And he thought, stuff it. If I can't beat them, I'll join them. <laughs> and he said, so I walked up and gave my life to Jesus. And he said, that's why I'm in the small group today. And the pastor's going, that is awesome. That is great. And it just showed me what happens when you have intimacy with the Lord and you're connecting with the Lord. So first one, seek his face. Number two, seek his will. Seek his will. 
Now, what is God's will for us on planet Earth? What is his will for us on planet Earth? Okay? You know, when Jesus was found with the priests and he was sitting there at 12 years old and he's talking to them, and they come, the parents come looking for him. They go, where have you been? What's been happening? And he says, I'm here it says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And when he talks about father's business, he's talking about father's concerns. And Jesus just had huge concerns at that time for what was happening in his culture. Okay, poverty, starvation, people being taken advantage of, parents having to sell their children into sex slavery. He goes, this is my concern. This is the father's business. You know, if you read in other chapters in, in the Bible, it's throughout the whole Bible where there's a pattern. And God is saying to us, you look after that. You, you, you go and resolve this social and economic distress in the world. He goes, you're going to get my attention. I'm going to be listening and I'm going to answer. But what we do in our culture is we go and seek our stuff and get all our stuff and then try and tag God on the end. But God is saying, you put my agenda first and you're going to bear fruit. Isaiah 58, they're praying, they're fasting, they're trying to get God's attention. Come on, come on, come on. He goes, I'm not listening. He says, because you're caught up in your own stuff. You're oppressing your workers. You're caught up in your own selfishness, right? That's why I'm not listening. And then it turns in Isaiah 58 where he starts saying, but if you look after the poor and the needy, the, you know, those who are naked, you clothe them. Those who are thirsty, you give them more. He, he leans forward, he goes, you've got my attention now. I'm now going to listen to you. I will hear from heaven. You'll be like rivers of living water. And he just dishes out all these things to say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to honor you. And somehow we miss this. We miss it. But this is God's heart. He wants the kingdom of God to earth. There's so much, I mean, you look at what's happening in the world today. There is so much heartache. There is so much stuff that's going on, you know. And who's going to fix it? The government isn't. Private organisations isn't. It's us. Us. This is our mandate. So our assignment, every single person in this room, you have an assignment, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, your education, your background. You're here still on planet Earth because God wants to do something through you. Otherwise, you just get saved and whoops, up you go to heaven. He wants you here because he has a purpose for you. Okay? Back in 550 BC... They came up with a design for something. They needed a purpose. There was a sheet, and they had to cut it down, down the middle. They come, came, came up with a design of scissors. The scissors were designed for that exact purpose of cutting that material. God designed you before you were born for a specific purpose. Okay, He formed you. He placed you in the right family at the right time so you could fulfill a specific purpose on earth. And some of you here in this room today, you have uh, pushed that away. You've pushed it away. And God is saying to you very clearly this morning, you have an assignment on planet Earth and it's connected to bringing his kingdom to Earth. And the time is now. And for those of you who aren't living that assignment, God is saying it's time to live it. And to give you a real sna a quick snapshot, which I shared yesterday, the key to your life assignment is based on your giftings and your life experience. 
think about Moses. He was out in the bush, in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. A bush starts speaking to him and says, go back to Egypt, take two million, two million dollars, two million people out from Egypt to the promised land. What does Moses do? Does he agree to it, first of all? No, he starts complaining. He says, I don't have what it takes. I'm not a leader. I, I don't speak well. I was sharing with the guys yesterday, some theologians believe that um, he had a, a speech problem, but it was like a high-pitched voice. Okay? So can you imagine Moses going back to Pharaoh and say, give me back my people? <laughs> it wouldn't go, it doesn't sort of marry up, does it? A big Hollywood blockbuster, you know? And they have the deep voice go, and Moses went back to Egypt and he pulled the two million out and took them to the promised land. And then it snips to Moses, give me back my people. <laughs> it doesn't go, does it? It kind of doesn't match. But here is Moses saying, I don't have what it takes. Gideon the same. He said, I don't have what it takes. I'm the least of my tribe, which is the least of uh, Israel. Same thing with David. He's saying, well, look at me. What have I got what it takes? But every single one of them went and did their assignment regardless of their own self-doubts. Yeah? And it was based on their giftings and their life experience. Just uh, think about Moses for one minute. What was his gifting? Leadership. What was his life experience? He grew up in Pharaoh's house. He was the only one that could go back and have a, a relationship and a discussion with Pharaoh. True? So Jesus couldn't... Um, pick anyone else. So it was his life experience. Think about David. What was his giftings? He was out in the bush, bored, looking after sheep. He had a gifting with a slingshot because he used it all day. Yeah? He had a gifting. He, he, he knew how to play. What else? The harp. What did that do? It subdued Saul. So everything he was doing in the wilderness were the very things that were preparing him for his assignment and his destiny. He went from the pasture to the palace. Some of you now today are in the pasture and you're thinking, what I'm doing is useless and it makes no sense. But you know what? The very things that you're working on that are in your hand are the very things God's going to use you to fulfill your assignment with. So you know, with, you know when he went to King Solomon, David is there. He just rocks along casually with his slingshot. There's a big nine-foot giant there saying, come on, bring it on. And David was confident because he'd already been in the pasture he had, he had the gifting and the skill of a slingshot. He knew how to avoid the enemy. He just goes, all right, bring it on. There, the big fat thing falls down. He goes, job done. All right? And that released him into the stage of becoming a king, didn't it? All right? So think about it for yourselves. What is your giftings and life experience? For me, my giftings and life experience, I've grown up in a family, that have been in a, in a family where my mum's been sick a lot. Right, most of my life. So I developed a compassion for the poor. So naturally, I want to eradicate poverty and people in social distress. It's affected me in my life, right? What about my giftings? I have a gifting in business. I have a gifting, well, I think I do, in communication, although I use probably too many Greek words. <laughs> um, but God has used that. I had a fear of public speaking for many years. and I just freak out. And so I, I used to, uh, when I was much younger, I would just force myself in, in front of pu people, public meetings in order to learn how to speak. And now God's using that when I, I preach overseas. I mean, I, I never thought, but a couple of years ago, preaching to 60,000 people. 
And I thought, this is little me, this little screw-up, this guy that's got nothing, me, right? That, had, that doubted myself, doubted who I was, doubted that God would ever use me. And I still have those doubts, and I still have those days of discouragement, and I still have those times where I go, God, you've got to be kidding, you're using me. That is, that's so funny. That's funny. You know, I was share, sharing with Andrew the other night and it's, uh, with the guys yesterday. I was getting on a plane up uh, on the Sunshine Coast. And you know how you walk up the stairs with both bags? I had two bags in my hand walking up like this, minding my own business, mind you. Just, I want to point that out. And I just stood there and everyone was stopped. It was a bit of a queue. And there was a lady behind me holding two bags as well. And as I'm sitting there, I feel this, like this. And the woman behind me has tripped with her two bags and her head has stuck into my bottom. <laughs> True story. And I knew, and she was going like this, and so I knew she was trying to leverage herself to get back up, so I pushed my bottom right out, and she went like that and eventually got back up. And I'm thinking, how does this happen? And as we got up onto the plane, she said, I don't normally meet people like this. <laughs> And I said, for the record, either do I. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very ordinary. And so my point is that God can use anyone. Anyone. It doesn't matter your background, where you come from, but he has an assignment for you and he has a job for you to do on planet Earth and he wants you to do it. So no matter what you do tomorrow, take the day off. Or maybe... <laughs> Maybe they take the day off. But uh, yeah, you go to work and say, I heard this preacher, he told me you could have the day off. Just ring him. No, don't have the day off. Just go pray, fast, do whatever, okay? And find your assignment, all right? Okay, last point seek his way. Okay, first one, seek his face. Second one, seek his will. Third one, seek his way. Okay, last, last point I want to make. You know, in Malachi, they heard for hundreds of years the Messiah was coming. And they got casual in their hearts. And they, they started uh, sacrificing crippling animals. Like they'd go and find this sheep and go, it's half mangled and whatever. And they'd put it on the altar and they would sacrifice it to God. And God said to, basically said to them, I'm going to shut the temple doors because this isn't pleasing to me. Is that your sacrifice? You're going to bring the leftovers? You're going to put it on my altar and then you're sacrificing that to me and you think I'm okay with that. And you know what? Sometimes that's what we do. We give, give God our leftovers. I've got a little bit of change left. I'll throw it in the, in the tin. Or I've got five minutes spare. I'll pray for someone. Rather than saying, you know what, I am, imagine a church completely surrendered to God that goes, man, I don't care whatever, I will do whatever for Him, completely surrendered. I'm here, I'm going to sacrifice myself for anything, Lord, completely surrendered to Him. You know, sometimes we hear people that come into church and they're, they're doing these radical things and they're, they're changing this and changing this or their ministry. And you hear these comments and go, man, they're radical. What they're doing is radical. But what we call radical is simply what Jesus Christ refers to as a follower. Does that make sense? 
And so in Luke 14, 26, it says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. All right? And whoever, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And why does he say that? He's talking to us. And we look at what do you think of those scriptures? Have you examined those scriptures? I mean, he's saying very clearly up front. It's a hyperbole where he says, if you come to me, if, you, if he does not hate his mother and father and wife and children, he can't be my disciple. He's not saying hate. He's saying it means if you love God so much, it would seem like you hate your mother and father. And getting back to this point I made before, are you so much in love with God that it would seem like hate to your mother or father or brother or sister? And the reason he says this first about being a disciple, because he says, if you're in love with me and you're totally sold out to me, then you will take up your cross and follow me because you won't care what will happen. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes the cross in our culture has been something that's become cool. I'll wear a nice cross, I'll get a tattoo of a cross but it's an instrument of death. And he's saying, are you prepared, even if necessary, to die for me, that your love for me would be that great? You know, sometimes picture, you know, you saw the passion of the Christ there. I picture Jesus Christ standing there, you know, on the outskirts of Jerusalem and the walls with that cross with the thorn and this blood pouring from his head. And I imagined if he turned to you and said, take up your cross and follow me. You still want to follow me? You lose your friends, your family. You still want to follow me? It's going to mean death. You still want to follow me? You might lose everything. You still want to follow? But you know what? There's this intimacy with the Lord when you take up your cross. There's this intimacy. There's this connection. Can you imagine if you literally took up your cross and you're standing there next to Jesus Christ and he's bleeding and you're bleeding and there'd be this connection, right? There would be this intimacy. I'm with you. He's going, he's with you, I'm with you, I'm, we're in this together. And that's what he wants. I'm not talking about literally taking up a cross, but he wants that intimacy to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow Christ. Yeah? That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Let me finish with this story that illustrates this point. You know, I struggle with this myself. You know, I've been to parts of the world where I've had death threats and people wanting to kill me and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it, I still get scared and I still get afraid, but I do it afraid. There's days where I leave home and I say goodbye to my wife and kids and go, I don't know if I'm coming back. And I don't say that to boast in me, I say it to boast in the Lord because I don't have that strength in myself. I, I do not have it. I'm just a guy that tries to follow God. I mess up a lot. But there's an intimacy when you step out and do your assignment. And I think in this day and age, we've got to the end. Uh, sorry, we're in the era of end times and God is asking the body of Christ to unite and stand up. We no longer can be a silent voice. We must be a vocal majority. And the enemy has divided us and put us into these individuals and small pods around Australia and the world, and we're not effective. And God is calling us. Let me finish off on this story about a 16-year-old girl called Rachel. 
from the States. This happened some years ago. And this is a diary entry that she wrote. I lost all my friends at school now that I've begun to walk my talk. They made fun of me, even though I have not done anything. I don't really have to say anything, and they, turn to, and, and they will turn from me. I have no more personal friends at school, but you know what? I'm not going to apologise for speaking in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. I'm not going to hide the light that God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me, to be my best friend, Jesus, then that's fine with me. I always knew being a Christian is having enemies, but I never thought that my friends were going to be the enemies. She states also, if I have to give up everything, I will. She said, if I have to die young and before 20, I will. She told some friends. And she wrote in her diary, this is my last year, Lord. I've gotten what I have. Thank you. I want you to use me to reach the unreached. This is one of her last diary entries that she wrote. And she said, God is going to use me to reach the young people. I don't know how and I don't know when. I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will be the start of a chain reaction of the same. People will never know for how far a little kindness will go. She was at school one day, and this guy by the name of Eric and Dylan came into the school with guns. And they started shooting people randomly. And they shot her, and she was still alive. And she was bleeding. Everyone else was being shot as this was going on. And one of them came back. And it was a person that she'd witnessed to many weeks before. And this young man, I think called Dylan, put a gun to her head and said, Do you still believe in God? Her response was unflinching and unwavering. And she said, you know I do. And with that, Eric, it was actually Eric, responded, then go and be with him and shot her in the head. You know, since that time, her book called Rachel's Tears has become a mass seller around the world. And that diary entry that she had helped me to reach people around the world is exactly what has happened. You know, sometimes our assignment that the Lord has given us may be ugly. Maybe that was her assignment. Only the Lord will know that. But the most loving thing that I could do today was share with you and challenge you to be followers of Jesus Christ. To seek his face, to seek his will, and to seek his way. You know, Andrew and Karen don't want to get to heaven one day and say, you know what, Lord, I've kind of got a bunch of people that kind of love you, and they kind of loved you, and they kind of did a bit of the kingdom stuff. They want to get to heaven and say, look at my beautiful bride. Look at what they did in the city of Melbourne. Look at the lives they changed. Look at the people they impacted. Look at how they brought the kingdom in. True? That's what they want. That's what you want. That's what we all want, okay? So my, my 
encouragement to you is to be a follower, to seek his face, seek his will, seek his way. The objective of today wasn't for you to condemn yourself. If you feel inside that you're condemning or you're saying, I'm not good enough and I don't do this and I don't, don't do that, that is from the devil, not from God. That's condemnation. This is conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will say to you and says to you this morning, I love you. God says to you this, to you this morning, I love you. I want you in my life to love me to be with me, and as you do that, you will walk your assignment out, out. You will do it my way. That's the key. That's what he wants. I want to be one more voice that encourages you to be God lovers, to be laid down lovers of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to share something with you just to finish off. I talked briefly in this presentation about the ASP movement. As I mentioned, we have a world that's dying at the moment. We have so much heartache, social and economic distress. We've recently started a thing called the ASP movement, which means All Shall Prosper movement. And just to summarise, it's about collectively getting 400,000 people on one database in Australia that's focused on one thing, and that is eradicating this culture of greed and self-centeredness in Australia that will ultimately be replaced through God's culture of righteousness and generosity so we can eradicate the social and economic distress in this nation, the poverty, the homelessness, the substance abuse, the suicide, all that type of thing. And we have an opportunity to do this in the nation. And I think it's time for us as Christian men and women, women and even people outside of the church to bond together to come together to one collective voice in this nation so we can change it. Would you agree? And what it's about, the objective of it, is to transform the social, economic, educational and political culture of this nation, all right? Because that's the root cause of a lot of, a lot of our social distress. We want to oust Babylon, which is the unrighteousness and greed, and replace it with a kingdom culture of caring, sharing and prospering others, all right? Because as we do that, we'll eradicate social distress. It's the root cause of social distress in our nation. We want to lobby politicians to focus on our children, children and not election horizons. We have no long-term vision for Australia. We need leaders in our nation with a long-term vision. Not four years, not two years, not three years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Would you agree with that? Our children's children, I'll tell you right now, are in trouble unless we change this. We have $250 billion worth of unfunded liabilities. The government doesn't know what to do. They're taxing pensioners now. They're trying to tax our way to prosperity. We, the, the government cannot do it. If that continues like that, our children's children will be living in anarchy. It's been proven time and time again. And it's time for us to unite under one vision. We want to work towards creating more enterprise, in this nation rather than increasing taxation. And I want to point out, we're not a political party, we're not a redneck religious right, it's just time for us as men and women together to come together under one common assignment to change this nation and bring God's culture down so we can walk as men and women of God. Amen? That's what it's about. And I recently presented this um, in, in a place and I said to them, I said to, uh, uh, in a room, and as I mentioned at the start, about 30% of people signed up. And I said to someone, I said, you know what, why is that? I said, why wouldn't you put your name and address down? We're not selling anything. There's no 
asking for money. It's not a political party, none of that. It's uniting under one vision. And he said, oh, I said, don't you care about the seven-year-old seven girl getting raped every night? He goes, yeah, I do, but there's kind of nothing in it for me. I said, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. I said, so you wouldn't spend five seconds putting your name and email address down so we could have, if we have 400,000 on one database, we will be the biggest movement in Australia and the government will listen to us. So when they've got policies that we don't agree with or anything like that, or if we want to start large initiatives to get rid of the homelessness and suicide, you wouldn't want to be a part of that. Just to put your name down, nothing else. You don't have to do anything the rest of your life but put your name down. He goes, oh, yeah, I suppose so. I thought, you know, there it is. Selfishness. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. So I want to show this video. I don't get anything from this. We just want to change this nation. We have multiple churches across Australia now uniting under this vision. We've even had someone from uh, Donald Trump's um, political party in the States wanting to know what we're doing because they can see that this can actually change a nation. We just met with an international leader, which all of you would know, which is coming on board to say, you know what, this is the first time in history I've seen something that's going to fix the root cause of the social distress in a nation. Isn't this good? This is what we want for this nation. It's time. It's time. Amen. We live in a world that is saturated with social and economic distress. Unemployment, substance abuse, domestic violence, homelessness, poverty, child sex trafficking, rampant corruption, financial hardship and unsustainable debt are all symptoms of something. What is the root cause of these symptoms? It's an inbred culture of greed and self-centeredness, a culture of maximising self-interest at the expense of others. Think about it. We've been taught from the cradle to the grave to get the best deal for ourselves, hoard our assets for retirement. This can put our fellow Australians out of business and into financial distress, even suicide. If we continue to live and trade like this, we will create poor, desperate and starving people. Societies will reach a breaking point, resulting in anarchy. Treating the symptoms and not the root cause of the problem is not sustainable. It's like mopping up the water without turning off the tap. We must turn off the tap. We must change the culture that is creating these symptoms. For example, women make up nearly half of the homeless people in Australia. The main cause of these homeless women in Australia is domestic violence. The largest cause of domestic violence is financial hardship. The root cause of financial hardship is the flawed culture of greed and self-centeredness. If we deal with this culture of greed, we automatically reduce financial hardship, thereby reducing domestic violence, homelessness and the immense distress associated with this on family breakdown and the welfare system. So how do we do this? By thinking, functioning and trading in a way that is conducive to universal prosperity. This has been proven to work over and over again 
with many multi-million dollar businesses being built by trading the ASP way. As a result, all parties prosper. Instead of creating poverty, we create people of means. This allows them to trade with us and each other again and again, resulting in overall community prosperity and the elimination of systemic poverty. This is the only sustainable way for nations to prosper socially and economically. The ASP movement is a network of hundreds of thousands of individuals who want to make a difference by prospering themselves and their communities. We provide a forum for discussion groups and ideas to create initiatives undertaken by ASPM that will create a just nation powered by a preferred economy. If you care about your children, your family, friends and country, we urge you to take action and join now. We are not a political party. We are a movement united to make a tangible difference. Be a voice, build your influence, change our nation, and gain access to powerful marketplace teachings with incredible networking opportunities that have already created massive prosperity in many businesses worldwide. There are no annoying emails, no sell, and no asking for money. So take action, join today. It only takes 15 seconds.